back to continue our coverage of the movie because <sighs> there is just so much to talk about. I'm Vero. I'm Lena. Enjoy! The next scene I have called Toast because they they toast and they're toast. Wow. I was feeling very funny when I was writing my notes. Uh-huh, uh-huh. But you're doing an eye roll when I say it grows longer when he tucks on it. Yes, uh-huh. It wasn't... I mean, uh-huh. listen, first of all, that was a very different kind of a joke than the one that I just made. Uh-huh. Uh, but yeah, anyway. No, toast. Yes, we toast in the castle. We get Primus kneeling by the coffin of uh, presumably his father and not Secundus. Because there is a crown on top of it and he gets approached by the priest bishop. who says marriage. It's a bishop. No, that's not what the bishop says. But he gets approached by a bishop who says, I would prefer you to be the king, which is when Tertius and Septimus show up. And especially he tells us that Primus would be the first benevolent king. Exactly, which reveals something about his character. It's a negative character trait in this family. Then we get the actual toast and this is one of my favorite moments of this movie. Shockingly, it involves Mark Strong and or <laughs> Septimus. When we get the priest dies, then Tertius dies, and then Primus sure. and Septimus yes. just like stare at each other, and then Septimus they close like, up with the ice. They close up and it's like who's that? who's that? who's who's doing is this? And Septimus like starts choking and falls. Yeah. And we get this shot at Primus, and we get the music. Again. And he's like, oh, I'm so full of myself. This is so great. And then Septimus gets up. He's like, did you really think I'm dead? (laughs) Fuck you, dude. And it's so fucking funny. I love it so much. And Septimus is peak. Because he doubles down. Because Primus goes, you killed the bishop. Well, actually, you did by picking the wrong cup. So, no. (laughs) (laughs) But also, I was um, watching this a little bit more in detail this time. Because I knew this was coming. And the person who first picks up the cup is the bishop. Therefore, the bishop actually dies of suicide. Uh, No, he doesn't die of suicide because he doesn't know this is happening. Because Septimus did this. So essentially, the bishop kills himself, not Primus. Because the bishop picks up the wrong cup. Septimus killed all of them. But I mean, obviously, but if yes. we're doing the thing that Septimus did. What I find absolutely ridiculous is that Tertius and Primus at this point would even accept anything in an open container. I feel like the only reason they accept it is because the bishop takes it first. Still, like seriously, it's like... I mean, yes, I agree with you. I agree with you. But if like... If you know that everyone is out to kill you, you should only drink from freshly opened containers. Yeah, we've seen it everywhere. But obviously, this is now the fifth way of dying. Dumb ways to die. So many (laughs) dumb ways to die. Amazing video. You know that one, right? With the obviously, we've already talked about it on the podcast as well. I'm pretty sure we linked it in like season two of Lucifer. Good. Death number five is death by poison. Woo! (laughs) (laughs) And now we have two left. We have the first and the last one left of the brothers, which. Also, very, very sweet. But also, they do not seem to be far enough apart age-wise, visually, I feel. Really? Because, okay, so let's guess. I'd say Septimus is 32, the oldest. Like, probably less. That would be my guess. While Primus, I would say, is easily in his 50s. Really? Yeah. Okay. Uh. That would be my my assumption. Maybe I'm seeing the actors too much instead of the characters. So I think that might be my issue. Okay, no. Did I remember it right that 
there is a fifth person handing over the cups because everyone is taking a cup. So yes. there must be a servant. So yes. that must be one of Septimus people, right? Yeah, probably. Good. See, Septimus being the seventh, having all the henchmen. Smart. Yes, indeed. It's mm. it makes sense. Sure. Yes, yes, yes. It just makes sense. It just makes sense. We are going to the witches. There we are. <laughs> and see, this is the moment in the movie which I find very, very funny because they are seeing Lamia off at the door, and the first She's being thing such she a dick. does. She's being such a dick. But like the thing she does is that she lights all the chandeliers and everything. She's so good. And then she goes, oh, I can't believe we live in such a filth. I expect you to clean this. Make this fit for the queens that we are by the time I'm back. Mm. Like, dude, really? Yep. What a choice. If you're going to bring a star back, you're going to have enough power to do it yourself or like do it together. But like also expecting her sisters to serve her like this. It's very arrogant, and I love it. I love it, but... She strikes me as the oldest and most powerful of the three sisters, so she is their leader, basically, you know? I mean, technically, she is giving me very much the vibes, Septimus vibes, so she could have been the youngest, but the most cunning. Yeah, yeah, no, she strikes me as the oldest, I really have to say. Maybe the most powerful. I can, De- I can go with the most powerful. Definitely the most powerful. Doesn't necessarily mean in my head that she is the oldest. In my brain it was. For the scene, I have a random IMDb fact that I found no base for, but I like it so much that I still included it. The knife that she takes with her to cut out the star's heart supposedly was designed by Matthew Vaughn for Magneto in the X-Men movie from 2006. But I have not found that Matthew Vaughn was in any way related to that X-Men movie. So, I mean, it would makes sense it's like the with the whole magneto cutting rogue i think it's been a while uh so i i didn't find it because i don't think he was a producer on that movie and the only overlap that i found between that movie and this movie is ian mckill and i can't really see ian being like hey we had this knife at the x-men set that we didn't use do you want to use it in your movie which x-men is it the last stand from 2006 the year before stardust came out which one's the last stand they all blend to is that the sorry just give me one second with jean gray be becoming phoenix i don't think i've seen that one maybe that's why okay. i'm like no may, I, I'm, I'm pretty sure that's the one of the two x-men movies that i haven't actually seen that's why i'm like Oh, good. Okay. But like I said, I didn't find any overlap for this movie, except the fact that Ian McCallan is in both, and I don't really see him, but... Nah. eh, Who cares? So, random, stupid IMDb shit information. And I don't have anything else for this scene before we move over to the crater. This is the crater scene where we get the bubbling candle. Yes. And I dislike Tristan right now so much because he is so single focused and he is so disrespectful. But he's actually being really smart. I'm not saying he's not being smart. He's just being an asshole. And that's the thing. To me, Tristan has always been a little asshole. Like, that's the thing. Like, he is not a nice person. He is a good person. I'm not saying he's a nice person, but he is a good person. But the thing is, the good person is inside him. But so far, we have not seen him 
him exhibit smart, cunning, or actual care. And so far, he is not a nice person. He becomes a really nice person because in his heart, he is a good person. But at this point, he's not a nice person. I like certain aspects of Tristan so far, but any interaction he has with Yvain until he... No, actually, any interaction he has with Yvain until they get on the pirate's ship. I extremely dislike that. And fair enough, because like to me, once he loses Yvain, like, the way he interacts with Primus later on is also already better. So, like I said, he has a lot of growing to do. He really, really does. He truly is a boy when we start this movie. He's a boy and he becomes a man. To me, it has nothing to do with boy and man. To me, it's simply he's not a nice person yet. He has to go through certain experiences and realize that the world does not revolve around him and his wants and nothing is going to cater to him just because he wants it. And he cannot... I don't think that that's his assumption. He is single-mindedly focused on the fact that he needs to get the star back to Victoria. He does not care that the star is its own person. Yes, but that doesn't mean that, that the world to bend Victoria his is his world. Nothing else matters. That is extremely rude and single-mindedly. Yeah, I've said that. Yeah. Yeah. Th- why are you disagreeing with me? <laughs> I'm not disagreeing with you. I'm just saying that like, whatever. It's it's fine. Let's move on because uh, we're clear not understanding each other and like and I'm we, not disagreeing with exactly. you. So, okay, so we are in agreement. Everything is fine. After the crater, we go through what I called everyone hunting the star because we have various scenes. I have called this riding epically. Ooh. It's a theme kind of in this movie. Yes, that is very accurate. We did the live watch. I need to stop repeating the fact that we did the live watch. When we last watched this movie, I commented on the whole a card being pulled by two goats being Mm -hmm. a four reference. Yes, I looked it up and I am not going to try and pronounce the names of force goats, but I included the link because there is an amazing story in the Edda about the two goats of four. He could kill them, eat their meat and then cover their bones with the hide and then they would be back again, basically. There's an amazing story about four and Loki and some humans and the goats. Their names in the Marvel universe are Teeth Grinder and Teeth Nasher or something but the Norse names are Tangrisnir and I'm not even gonna yeah no there's a link click it read it have fun it's amazing A lot of Norse mythology is absolutely epic, so... I just love that Gaiman just takes... And, like, Gaiman literally wrote a book called uh, Norse Mythology where he does a retelling of Mm -hmm. Norse mythology stories. So he is very, very well aware of everything. But I love that this movie is basically, let's take something from the Greeks and let's take something from the Norse and let's take this and these and these and mix it all together and make it beautiful. So... Yeah. I love Make it. it beautiful, a big part of this. Did you hear Bernard's mother in the background that she says, do not take less than a florin for the goat? Yeah. Because I didn't. <laughs> says at the very beginning of the scene. Yeah, IMDb says so. I had to go back and re-listen to it because I didn't catch it. I love this bit, especially with Bernard having kind of a stereotypical nagging mother. It's kind of fun to see him go off on an adventure, even though it's a bit of a goat-shaped adventure. <laughs> 
I was confused because when I went back and listened to his mom literally saying, do not take less than a florin. And Lamia offers a florin. Mm -hmm. Why does he say no? Is it really just because he's like... I don't think he actually says no. He says, my goat is too tiny to pull your cart. Yeah. Like, this won't work. So why does he care? Why isn't he just like, mom said, I have to sell this goat. Yay, I'm done. Give me the money for golf bitch. Like... <laughs> okay, I'm gonna, I'm gonna give you a headcanon of mine. Okay, please, yes. It's a backstory for Bernard. He loves the goat. He loves the goat. It's his favorite animal on the farm. And his mom is forcing him to sell it on the market. And he knows that he needs to do it. Because they're not doing very well. And he needs to take Aww. care of her. Because she's kind of old and sick. But like also she's really insufferable. So he is about to bring his favorite goat to the market. Sell it for meat or And so this would actually have turned into the whole beanstalk story if he had yes. made it to the market? Yes. Okay. Yes. yes, I'm with you. This is gorgeous. I love it. Okay. Yeah. And also very wholesome. We see Lamia is on her way in. She's not there yet I, when the mother yeah. says the, the thing. So it's not like she knows that he's negotiating for the goat with Lamia and mm -hmm. says, saying like, oh, don't take less than a florin. It's more of go to the market, don't take less than a florin because we need the money. And Lamia hears that and offers a florin. Ah, okay. At least that's how I see it. That is very good. Bernard is transformed. We have two goats pulling the chariot. We cut over to Septimus with his six henchmen and Primus in the carriage with the ghost brothers. And we see Tristan walking with Yvain. Epically riding or walking. And Tristan is gonna continue being a fucking little asshat to Yvain for a while. But before we continue with that, we go and meet the yellow wagon again that we saw in the beginning of the movie because now Lamia happens upon Ditchwater Cell. And that name alone is so wild to me. Like, Lamia and her sisters have amazing names and Cell is fucking Ditchwater Cell? Really? <laughs> I feel like they have the names based on the hierarchy of yeah. the witches and Ditchwater Sal is somewhere on the very, very bottom who just happened to luck into having a yeah. royal slave, which bring it back to what we talked about by Septimus being the reason why Una is, you know, in slavery, yeah. enslaved. It might have some merit to it now if you think about it, because Ditchwater Sal, how would she just happen? Yeah. Yeah. That's the thing. So, she's not smart enough for it. She's she's just, I mean, she is resourceful and everything. Yeah, but not compared but to Una. Sorry. I feel that she's the kind of a person who happened on the opportunity and was the first one to act on it. I'm pretty sure like Septimus didn't hand Una over to Ditchwater Cell or anything, but he did something to Una that enabled Ditchwater Cell to get ownership of Una. Yes. That is my hat cannon because it yes. makes the most sense. There is a very nice IMDb fact because I would not have known this and when you Google this bird, it's actually the bird that Una is being turned in is a white-throated magpie jay. Ah, it is a magpie. Yes, and it is very pretty and it looks exactly the way it looks in the movie when you Google white-throated magpie jay. It's so for once IMDb bird. is accurate. Yay! Hey. For some reason, <sighs> I lost my shit at the heads or tails with the rabbit when she asked her. Because yeah. for me, that is when you flip a coin, yeah. you ask heads or tails. So, and somehow I found it completely hilarious. And <laughs> okay. Sometimes I'm easily amused and it makes zero sense. No, like it was very, very good. And <laughs> there was 
shocking amount of meat on something like that. It looks like they had potatoes as well with it. It just felt like a full-on meal. When you see the knife coming down, you see that there's actually a meat piece on the side of it that is not connected to the tail part. So it's actually three pieces that are lying on the chopping block. But yep. ah, it actually looks really, really tasty and it reminded me it's been a while since I had rabbit. So now I'm kind of craving rabbit. Now I'm kind of craving food. Speaking of food, we get this bit where Sal asks Lamia a question and Lamia gets so into answering. It took me a while, yeah. Every time I watch this movie, like it doesn't happen to me often to watch it multiple times times in a row so mm. i always forget that she feeds her the what grass. is it called something grass lacme grass or something something grass yeah for the truth telling so every single time i watch it it's like why what is, is she happening? telling her the truth what's going on same yeah and i mean it was less than a week that we watched this yeah latmica yes i think it's lacme grass yeah Obviously, Lamia gets super fucking pissed and yeah. she puts an enchantment or curse or whatever you would like call it on Sal. And Sal's reaction to Lamia revealing herself makes me believe Lamia is the literal witch queen. Yes. I feel like the three sisters are the top of the hierarchy. And that's what we were debating earlier. To me, this is basically Lamia is the queen and the other two are basically the evil princesses because you have mm. queen and the younger sisters of the queens are mm. princesses, right? I mean, maybe, but also I don't necessarily think that Sal would have had queens. a different reaction. I mean, she calls her sisters the queens before she leaves. You know, make this place ready to be worthy of the queens that we are. Huh, good point. Really good point. So, well, then I guess in Stormhold, there mm -hmm. are queens, not just one. <laughs> okay, I mean, no, you right. know that. You're right. Shakespeare's there. Oh. Oh, nice, nice, nice. Nicely done. No, you're right. You're absolutely right. And this completely <laughs> wraps it up. Thank you. I have no further point. <laughs> <laughs> I love Lamia putting the curse on yes. Sal because yes. this is something that I realized on multiple rewatches. This is the moment where Lamia gets irrationally, or it's not completely irrational, the reaction, but she gets angry and that anger will prevent her in the future to get to the star faster. Or maybe not prevent her specifically, but it will help Yvain and Tristan in the long run, the fact that she is so pissed at Sal and that she takes this so personally. But if she hadn't put this on Sal, mm -hmm. Sal does run into the star earlier. Yeah. And then there would have been a real risk that Sal kills the star beforehand. So this is a necessary step, basically. I mean, it is a necessary step for Lamia in general, but... It also has its downsides that she is not actively aware of. Yes. Rather than this being actively against Lamia, it is actively pro-Evain. Yes, absolutely. And this is one of the first things that, he, that she does that turn out this way and it's mm. not the last one. Yeah. Which I find it funny from the storytelling point of view. No, that's a really that good point. We get all of this because without Lamia actually doing these things, chances are Evain and Tristan would never survive. If this enchantment had not been placed on Cell, then Cell very likely would have recognized Yvain as a star at 30s. And if she didn't recognize her then, she would have her in her yep. living hood later. But given the fact that Ferdy also already knows about the fact that the star is being hunted, if Cell had identified the star, then this scene would have been really, really dangerous. 
for everyone, mm-hmm. for the pirates, yeah. for Yvaine. Because at this point, Yvaine and Tristan are not where they're meant to be yet mm-hmm. for each other. Mm-hmm. And that is a necessity for Yvaine and Tristan to be able to overcome everything that comes afterwards. So I'm yeah. fully with you. It is not against Glamia that this works, but it works for Yvaine. And this is something yes. that Lamia was definitely not aware of or considering even probably. Definitely not intended. We go into the woods and I know I said this before, but I consider Tristan's behavior actually kind of cruel. That he is making Yvain walk this fast, this far at this time of day when he is well aware that she is And he's actually at fault. So this is, in my opinion, the worst moment and worst scene for Tristan in the entire movie. Because everything else can be chalked up one way or another. Mm -hmm. But there is no reason that he needs to be this cruel to her. For fuck's sake, he could offer to fucking carry her and it would make more sense. Yep. This is the worst Tristan ever is and will be. And from this moment on, Tristan will continue to grow or actually start to can grow because so far there is no growth. Because he didn't really have the reason. He doesn't have the motivation or reason to care for Yvain. Or yet. anyone that's not Victoria. So this is the moment where we learn that Yvain is the evening star which is the same star as the morning star, which <laughs> everyone who listened to Lucifer obviously knows is fucking Lucifer. So I did not realize this until we watched this movie together. Yeah. That we are literally watching a movie by Neil Gaiman about Lucifer on Earth. Both morning star on Earth. <sighs> Mind blown. Like, seriously, I did not expect this. And it makes it so fucking perfect that we actually decided. So I'm really, really appreciative that you said, hey, what about we're covering Stardust? Because I was like, yeah, yeah, whatever. It's a nice movie. Let's do this. And now I'm like, wait. Layers upon layers upon layers. Fucking perfect. Neil Gaiman. The onion of film and literature. Seriously, this is fucking perfect for us. I love it. So this made me extremely happy. Yeah. (laughs) Now, we get, I want to say my favorite Septimus scene, but... One of them. I just love all Septimus scenes so much. Before we go into the scene on this beach, you remember when I said in the facts and funds that not everything was filmed in England and Scotland Mm -hmm. because one scene was filmed somewhere else. This is the scene. Do you want to venture a guess in which country this beach is? Hmm. I'm going to go out on a limb and say Iceland. That is correct. (gasps) Oh! And so I initially mixed this up with another beach in Iceland because I thought this was Diamond Beach. It is not. It is Black Sand Beach. Both Black Sand Beach and Diamond Beach have black sand. But the Diamond Beach has the actual ice chunks that look like diamonds. The chunks that you see at this beach are props, not the actual ice blocks. Mm -hmm. And I'm actually very disappointed because I have been at Diamond Beach. I have not (laughs) been at Black Sand Beach. So I cannot say I was there. That's actually so good. Yeah, and I'm very, very upset because I have amazing pictures of myself at Diamond Beach and I can't use them because it's not Black Sand Beach. So I'm very upset. Those two beaches actually do get mixed up a lot, Um, but they are actually over 200 kilometers apart from each other. So, so basically yeah. on the other side of Iceland, right? Because Iceland is... No, 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 no. Black Sand Beach, funnily enough, because Septimus wrote all the way south and now the island is at its end. Black Sand Beach is all the way south of Iceland. 
Amazing. So basically, Stormhold is Iceland. Yes, yes. I like that. <laughs> Mm-hmm. And I just thought it was so random that I had to include this. Yeah, absolutely. It's so good. Let's talk about the wonderful beach <sighs> scene. Ah, uh, yes. Uh, Septu was so cunning. I love that he does this whole charade because he doesn't just figure out for himself how the runes work. He yeah. figures it out for us as viewers as well mm-hmm. because now we understand what's happening. Mm-hmm. We now understand also that anybody can use the runes, then you don't have to be a witch. Yeah, witch. Which is curious. So basically everyone who lives in Stormhold seems to have the minimum required magical capability to do and use certain things. Yeah. So you're like, you live within a magical kingdom, you're touching upon magic. Yeah. Therefore you can use magical objects. I really did appreciate this for some reason and I don't know what it says about myself. So remember how I was just complaining about how cruel Tristan is? Uh, Septimus cruelty really works for me. <laughs> so I don't know if I have double standards or something. Yes, but <laughs> you do. It's the Mark Strong stronghold. Mark Strong being cruel is kind of hot. What do you mean kind of hot? It's full on fucking... So, <coughs> wow. yeah, I just wanted to like out myself here, you know? <laughs> to be fair, who doesn't it work for? Show me a person who this doesn't work for. I don't know. Oh, oh, so good. He has that whole thing where he goes, we learn so much about Septimus in this scene. Yes. He is the seventh son. His favorite color is blue. He has a strong urge for violence. Mm-hmm. And he is very, very smart because the last he thing he does... The last question is, throw them very, very high. And he asks just the right question while already knowing how to read the runes. And I mean, come on, let's be honest. He also already knows the fucking answer, which is why the cruelty works for me. Yeah, he wouldn't murder him if the rune said no, I don't think. No, because then he has no reason. Exactly. Septimus is very effective in his cruelty and evilness. And I appreciate an efficient. uh, Sorry, yeah, that's the word. And I appreciate an efficient villain. Yeah, because there's no unnecessary, you know, cruelty. And there's no unnecessary murder. Yeah, don't waste your time or energy. Conserve the energy, yeah. Yeah, before we move on, I'm going to throw you my two beautiful pictures of the Diamond Beach into our chat so that you can see. Oh, that's so fucking cool. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, I was... And then he says um, towards east or something. Like, or we are We write east. And... Guess what? East is the direction that you have to go to get to Diamond Beach from Black Sand Beach. (laughs) That is actually incredible. We get this absolutely gorgeous transition. God, it is so beautiful. And obviously most of the movie is filmed in Scotland with the hills and mountains and la la la. And and green fields. It's so so pretty. Septimus asks, do we continue right east or something like that? And he throws up, throws the runes up into the air and we see they're going to be falling face up and halfway through the throw, they turn black. Yes. And they are Lamia's runes. So, no. the way so she's walking from the ledge with the billowing clothing. Ah. Oh. Excellent. It's so good. Oh, 
good. It's very epic. The entire movie yes. is extremely epic. But especially this with the music scene with, is with the wide yeah. shot angles and mm. everything. So good. But now, because this is a fairy tale, there is something that a good fairy tale has to have, and that is a unicorn. Magic. Or oh. basically our Lucifer sitting on a white horse in a few moments. What horse? <laughs> what horse? <laughs> Um, no, so Yvain is sitting in the dark woods and she's scared. According to IMDb, this is a movie reference. I do not agree with this. If you want to know which movie, look it up yourself because it's wrong. <laughs> I know, I'm an asshole sometimes. You love me. It's fine. I have debunked some of your fun facts as well, so. We continue hunting the stars and we go back to the fucking runes because Lamia is now complaining to her sisters that the runes are not working and she needs the sisters to do a sacrifice. And this has a really really interesting IMDb fact that I actually expect to be or assume to be right during this sacrificial scene a crocodile is used originally mm. a pig was intended to be the sacrificed animal oh my god but Paramount Pictures insisted on another animal less offensive so because pigs living pigs especially small ones are cute but a crocodile apparently isn't so it's less offensive to slaughter a crocodile also if you pay attention when they grab the crocodile you can actually see that his mouth is taped shut because you see the reflection of the shiny tape uh, under his chin so that he oh can't uh, snip at them. I hate the sisters. I wish all of them dead just for the way they treat animal sacrifice because poor babies. I actually hate more the fact that we used actual animals for this because I am not a fan of taping shut the mouth of a crocodile just so that it can be pulled out of a cage. <sighs> Yeah, well, I get it that it was probably the cheapest option, but I'm very happy that nowadays CGI is cheaper than having the actual animal in there Mm -hmm. because a film set is always incredibly stressful for an animal. So can we not? (laughs) Yeah, well, now we can. Yes, now we can. And it makes me very, very happy. And so the sisters read the organs and tell her, no, 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 the runes are great because you are exactly where you're supposed to be. Stay right there. The star is coming to you. Which, whoa, what a twist of events. And that is actually what is happening. But before that happens, I get my first moment of, oh, this is so well-deserved. And very few things make me as happy as just desserts. <laughs> so seriously, like I'm the fucking queen of pettiness. I know. <laughs> I've, I've noticed. I know you know, and I know it's also a character flaw, but when I watch movies, this is what gives me joy. <laughs> Joy. Tristan coming back to the tree and gasp there is no more vein. it's like I know wow how did you not see this fucking coming you were gone for hours because he left her there when it was noon because she said it's noon it's, it's noon I'm never up this late yeah this is the one time I actually have to sleep because this is the time you can't see the star so he left at the high fucking time of noon and now it's dark so at least six hours, if not more. Like if this was the winter time and it goes dark early or something. At least six hours, if not more. He was gone. So what the fuck did he expect? And I'm so happy that he lost her because he deserves yes. to lose her. Absolutely. So this makes me very, very happy. Oh yeah, I'm definitely on that hill with you. You are absolutely <laughs> correct. <gasps> he kind of just accepts it. He doesn't really even like try to look for her because he's tired, I suppose, and everything. He just like plops himself on the ground and, and goes to sleep because you know there's nothing to do when you're tired and you have no idea what happened as i said 
in my notes. I noted, I don't think he's a bad kid. I just think that he is inexperienced and immature and he's overly single-minded about, as I put it down, about fucking Victoria, which can work <laughs> both ways. And I stand by it. And we have had this conversation earlier. Yes. There's no need to delve into that because I believe that we both use the same words for this. I think we agree. We just frame it differently. It's totally fine. So he sits down, tree, yay. We cut over back to Lamia and she is still in conversation with her two siblings because they tell her that she needs to be careful how much magic she uses, right? Yep. And what does she do? She straight up uses all the magic. The way the inn is being created is surprisingly oh. well done. It looks really, really good. I love it. Obviously, there's a ginormous continuity error because this is the third time she uses magic and it has literally no effect on her. The last two times she used magic, it had an instant and very strong effect. And creating the inn is a ginormous piece of magic and it changes nothing. Maybe it changes, maybe her butt falls. This is such a ginormous work. It should be more. So this to me is a continuity error, especially with the sisters just pointing out the be careful how much magic you use and she goes like oh, I only did the two things so yeah I wouldn't be me if I didn't I love how she says that's hardly extravagant and then she cr just creates an entire fucking building with like working yeah. fireplace and stables also she turned Bernard into a goat and it affected her strongly but turning Bernard back into Bernard and then into a girl and then Billy the goat into Billy the person has zero effect so that to me ginormous continuity error but who cares it looks amazing it looks so good and also I love Billy the goat as Billy the innkeeper the I keep forgetting the actor's name but he does an amazing job like the whole body language later on when he jumps over the table like he keeps his upper body completely stiff and he basically just works with his legs and it's just wow wow it is incredible his name is Mark Williams and I actually met the man I have a photo with him <laughs> We now bring in the dream of the stars. Look up the stars, they shine for you. The dreaming scene I kept together with Yvain riding on the unicorn. Like I kept everything together yeah. because yeah. Like, we have a lot of the dreaming, jumping around, seeing scenes, la la la. And Yvain's so fucking done with Tristan. I'm, Rightfully so. I am so with her. Yeah, she literally doesn't stop talking about how terrible Tristan is the entire journey to the inn. It's so funny to me. Yep. But also, same girl. I would be exactly the same. Two IMDb facts. A, if you pay attention, and it is actually not really that visible because it is so dark, you remember the unicorn obviously not wearing a saddle. Now that... Yvain is sitting on the unicorn. You can see that one of her feet is in a stirrup mm -hmm. and it's not that well covered by her dress. Funny. I'm not blaming them because sitting bareback on a horse is not that easy. So yay, Especially if first. you don't have the training. So safety first, basically. The second thing is apparently the girl playing Yvain's sibling is another daughter of Sting. Is it? According to IMDb. Do we remember her name? No, so I didn't research that. But according to IMDb, two of Sting's daughters show up in this movie. One is the sister of Victoria and one is Yvain's sibling. And since this is the only sibling of Yvain that we see, it has to be this one. <laughs> hmm. Yeah. Interesting. So wanted to include 
those. But mostly for me, the dreaming scene is very well done exposition because this is very, very few minutes of all the relevant information that we need to move the plot very, very much along. Yes, absolutely. So, and it's it's just really well kind of embedded into the movie that it's yeah. not like exposition, exposition, exposition. That makes sense. Floop, floop, floop into somebody's face. It's yeah. just a part and it is used not just to give us information. It is used to actually and I have said this before it is a turning point for Tristan in his behavior I mean it is a bit wild to me that Tristan just straight up completely and fully believes all of this but then again he is Literally, in a magical land, looking for a star in the form of a person, and he is aware that his mother is somewhere there, being kept as a slave to a witch. So, why wouldn't it be true, you know? (laughs) Yep. But Tristan is such a dork. So, the stars tell him, run, 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 you really have to catch the carriage, you have to catch the carriage. And he's just this tiny bit too slow, so he goes... Plonk, right against the carriage. And seriously, I laughed so loud when this happened because the sound effect is so loud. It literally is plonk. (laughs) Yeah, it's very, very good. But it's a bit cute that Primus is actually stopping. Like he could just have continued, you know? So he really is the good one of the brothers. (laughs) Exactly. I was just going to say there is... Truly, yeah. Now, the inn. At the inn. This is one of my favorite scenes, apart from the pirates, which come after this. So we are now in the favorite part of the movie for me. Yeah, true that. Now, Billy. Billy. Yes. You said it, and I agree absolutely with you. Billy is one of the best things about this entire movie. The physicality of him. It's amazing. It's so good. And like you actually have to be quite fit to do jumps like this. Yes. Because I have spent a good amount of years climbing and bouldering and stuff. And I follow a lot of professional climbers. This is what professional climbers do in their training. Like, it's not something that a random schmuck off the street would be able to do. It's something that you actually need to practice. So, fucking heads down to... Mark Williams. Mark Williams. Because, holy shit, that, that actually takes... A lot. Yep. I need to praise Michelle Pfeiffer some more in this scene because she does caring while creeping so amazingly. The way she is able to act with her face one way and her eyes another way. If you know what I mean. Yeah. It's gorgeous. It's the duality of I am acting that I'm acting. Yeah. It is the layers. I fucking love this so, so, so There much. are definitely people who can do it very well and she is one of them. Then of course we have a few hilarious moments in the scene like Yvain not knowing what kind of bath she likes because she never had one. Boil a lobster. Yeah, it's a very great way to describe it. We have a few things in this scene that did not age well. Bernard in his female form being super happy to help Yvain undress. Yeah, that is my second moment that did not age well. Hmm. Because back then, it was funny. In 2023, it's not. Yeah. What did age really well for me, though, because when I watched this the first time, I had no idea. And now it just 
you can't unhear it. Nice soak to warm the cockles of your heart. Oh, was it the first time you heard that expression? In this movie? Yes. Oh. But I never connected it until I watched it. I think I watched the movie about a year, year and a half ago with a bunch of my friends who are Supernatural fans. Yeah, and that was the first time that I actually heard cockles as cockles. Because cockles, <laughs> for those who are not Supernatural fans or are not part, part of any fandoms, Cockles is the friendship name of Jensen Ackles and Misha Collins. Yeah, Collins, together. Eccles, Cockles. Yes, exactly. Cockles so, of my heart. The Cockles of my heart. And I have heard Supernatural fans to use this phrase over and over. And it never fucking hits me that I knew this. It always felt familiar, but I never hit me before like last year, that this is where I know it from. And so do you know what the cockles of your heart actually are? Oh, please, educate me. It's And part of your heart. It's named after cochlea from snail. It is the, the ventricles thingy inside your heart. So it's, it's literally Delightful. part of the anatomy of your heart. <laughs> Isn't it great that like the the cockles and cockles is the heart of exactly. something? Exactly. It works on so many levels. Oh. <sighs> There is one thing I want to complain about when it comes to Michelle Pfeiffer. Mm -hmm. The way she pronounces massage. <laughs> It, seriously, it, it threw me. And they say really? it a few times. It just sounds so wrong to me. Massage. No, they say it so weirdly and I can't recreate it. It's like <laughs> massage, massage. Massage, massage. No, no, massage would be okay. But they say like massage. And it's like, it, it completely threw me. And they say it several times. Okay, I'm gonna say 1800s England. I don't care. This is not actually 1800s. And they don't pronounce anything else differently. So, no. It was fucking sending me, I have to say. Also, <laughs> one last comment on Billy the Goat. Character error. He is a goat. Why does he listen to any orders? Magic. <laughs> Seriously, a goat would never listen to do this, do that, do this, do that. Because it's a fucking goat and goat are, seriously, the worst animals to herd. They are so annoying and so stubborn. Magic. Yes. Okay. Maybe he's in love with Lamia. Yvain got her buff. We magically heal her foot. Yay. No more pain for Yvain. Oh, pain for Yvain. <laughs> She is up in the bed. And then, of course, Primus shows up and knocks on the door because the runes say that the stone is near. And the stone and the star are together. But nobody knows this. And this is actually something that I really, really enjoyed throughout the entire movie. Yes. That the people hunting the star are actually hunting the stone. And the people hunting the stone are actually hunting the star. Like, it's, it's, it's really, really well done yeah Primus comes in there and because he is a fucking entitled prince it's so funny but also it's so obnoxious it fits yeah. because he might be the nicest of the princes he's still a fucking dick yeah indeed and I fucking love her when uh, Yvaine shows up and he starts yeah. like he starts hitting on her like the first thing he does First, he criticizes her for finally getting up. Yeah. So, you know, you need to knock her down because she's too beautiful for him. So he can then spread his prints. So he's using pickup artist techniques. Exactly. Yeah. That sounds fitting, actually. But mm -hmm. most importantly, he's a fucking talker. He keeps talking, talking, talking. And while he is talking, he mentions that the late king has ridden all sorts of beasts 
He even wrote a camel in his youth. IMDb fact. The King is played by Peter O'Toole, who famously rode a camel throughout his starring role in Lawrence of Arabia. Amazing. This supposedly is a reference to the actor of the king, not the king. Which... Love that. That is cute. So I love that. Relatable. Yes. So a bunch of shit happens. Bernard brings the wine that Primus does not want to drink because after literally witnessing his second to last brother die of poisoned wine, he has made a promise to only drink his own wine, which is like, yay, finally. About time. Yeah, it was about time you learned that, you fucker. So Bernard brings it into the stable and... The fucking unicorn saves Tristan's life. Purposefully, though. Purposefully. Yes. Unicorns. Also one of my potential devils in the details. Unicorns, depending on which mythology you follow, have various qualities and capabilities. And one of them is that unicorns see the true heart of a person. So basically, the unicorn showed up and rescued Evane from a situation, but Tristan wasn't there. So the unicorn technically didn't rescue Evane from Tristan. Mm Mm-hmm. And now that the unicorn is there and sees what is about to happen to Tristan, seeing that Tristan is, in his heart, a good person, is helping. Yay! That is what I decided to accept as my heart. Yes, I love that. Do you think you would be good enough for a unicorn? No. Yeah. <laughs> I think you would be. No. I'm too... I'm, I'm a spiteful person and I'm petty, so I don't think. Yes, but ultimately, you are a good person. That's a crazy girlfriend song. I'm a good person. Yes, it's true. I'm a good person better than you. Okay, no, he would not save you because See? of that. See? See? Also, unicorns are always female in my brain. Did you ever watch The Lost Unicorn? We have talked about this, I think, last week. Not yet. Oh no. I God. think I've seen the bits and pieces, but... I haven't seen the whole movie. When the last eagle flies. We forgot to mention the ghosts. The ghosts are oh, there. Oh yeah, sorry. The ghosts are so good. And they're incredible because they obviously see the stone immediately. But because nobody can see them yes. or hear them, they just yell into the abyss. They are such a great comic relief. Seriously. It is excellent. It's such a good way to uh, introduce a bit of lightness to a yes. story like this, to a situation like this, because they are completely irrelevant. They're just there for our amusement. Yes, and they are great at amusing us. Like, their yes. commentary, also in other scenes, is just so fucking spot on. Primus finally realizes what his brothers have been trying to comment on all this time, that Evane has the stone. Is carrying the fucking stone. And because he is a fucking entitled dick, he demands that she come to him, instead of just getting his naked butt out of the bathtub and go over to her. Had he simply stepped out of the off and walk towards her. All of this would have been over. I think Lamia would have gotten there before that and she would have taken him down probably, but he would have had a better chance of surviving this if he wasn't... He keeps demanding for several sentences and Tristan comes storming in to warn him and then Lamia cuts his throat. There is yeah. so much time that he could have just like... He's an able-bodied, halfway fit dude. He could have got out of the bar, rushed against the vein and grabbed the fucking stone. He could have grabbed it by then. And that would be enough. 
he wouldn't have gotten away with the stone. He doesn't have to get away. Lamia thinks he's after the star. Lamia doesn't care about the stone. But Lamia also doesn't care about collateral damage. She has no reason to fuck around with the fucking king. Also, we don't know if being king gives you like added powers because the fucking king was like the... I don't think she cares about the actual hierarchy of earthlings, you know? Maybe, maybe not. beings. But this is the moment where I blame Primus for his end. He kind of does this to himself, yeah. Yeah, that, that is basically all, all I want to say here. It's like, it's his own fault. <laughs> Obviously, he has blue blood because he is a blue blood, which is yes. a great touch. Absolutely yes. incredible touch. According to IMDb, this was also done because this allowed the filmmakers to show blood without risking a higher rating. Mm. Because if the blood isn't red, you can depict more of it without getting bumped up. So it's an easy way around. huh? And then... Third time, we, unicorn to the rescue. <laughs> we obviously, again, Billy is being sent to grab Yvonne, but the unicorn shows up and saves everybody yet again. Do we think the unicorn survived it? No, the unicorn is dead. So the unicorn and Billy charge each other and the unicorn hits Billy the goat so hard that Billy the goat transforms back into Billy the goat. Yes. Oh my god, the prop goat that is dropping on the floor is hilarious. So good. The sound effect is the same, basically, in my ears as when Tristan plonks against the carriage. (laughs) It's the plonk, and with the goat, it's plonk. Fart. It's... It's hilarious. Like, seriously, I fucking lost my shit in that moment. But then, of course, Lamia does her thing with the fire, fire, fire. And I'm pretty sure the unicorn is dead. We don't see the unicorn die. We don't see anything apart from green flames. Nothing survives this. Except Bernard under the fucking turned over carriage. Cart thingy. The cart does not exist at that point. Because the cart is the inn. So, in theory... I mean, the bathtub also still exists afterwards, even though it shouldn't exist. So I feel like if the unicorn survived, we would have seen it gallop off. I want to live in a world where (laughs) unless I see its dead, unmoving body, the unicorn survived and just went off to its own business. I will leave you in that headcanon because it doesn't hurt anyone if it's... True. Yeah, because the thing is, Yvain and Tristan are no longer on the ground after this happens. And therefore, there's nobody else the unicorn could help. Or needs to help, yeah. Maybe a unicorn vanishes after it saves your life three times. <laughs> yeah, that's fair enough. I like <laughs> Because that. you know three is a magic number and all that shit. Yes, yes. So it saved their lives for a third time. And then it's like, okay, my job here is done. Bye, bitches. Only three times. <laughs> In between all the green flames, Tristan has a half smart moment. Under pressure. It's the first time he has to perform under pressure. I mean, come on. He says, <laughs> yes, I know. Um, he says, think of home. And he frosts. Hold me tight and think of home. And he frosts his fucking entire hand into the flames because he doesn't want to risk losing even half a second for the candle to ignite. Which, mm-hmm. this is, the first act of really trying something selfless act it's not completely selfless but it's the first step in that direction Mm -hmm. putting someone else's need at least on the same level yes 
He's not there yet that he puts the need of the other person over himself. Yeah. And then he does the thing that I hated about him the most. And that is that he calls Yvain a stupid cow. The thing is, in this moment, emotions are running so high that I don't blame either of them. Because Yvain is completely unappreciative. She blames him for phrasing it so badly. Because it's his fault. No, it's not his fault. No, 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 no. Yvain blames him for phrasing it badly because he calls her a stupid cow and attacks her. It's her defense. Is that like, no, she's, in my she goes defense... First. She goes first. No. Yes. Because that is why I didn't blame him for calling her a stupid cow. Because okay. she is like, oh, you said it the worst possible way because I thought of my home and you thought of your home and now we're stuck in between. And uh, Because he asks her, where are we? And then she goes on the rant. Why did yeah. you phrase it as... And then she calls him... And he calls her a stupid cow because someone was trying to murder her. So sorry for not phrasing it more better. And this is why I didn't have an issue with it. Okay. I still have an issue with it. I just don't like the phrasing. Like, he could have said a lot of other things and I didn't like the phrasing. I just wasn't a fan of it. I get that. But in this moment, it was like they literally both just escaped sure death. So I'm like, she is ancient, but very young when it comes to being human. And he is, as we already know, a boy. So yeah, get it out, girls get it out and then please let's move on from this and this is basically what we do because the next time we see them together she is appreciative and he is patient with her and this is like literally a few moments after this so this is why I didn't have an issue with this but now the most important characters in this entire movie show up because we are in the sky and the sky pirates show up and they think that Tristan Tristan and Isolde no Tristan and Yvain are lightning marshals and I'm like what <laughs> it makes sense because they technically steal lightning yes. right yes of course but I, I completely did not expect that so I found that completely hilarious Um, and so obviously the pirates are like rawr, 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 and Shakespeare unbeknownst to us is not actually that scary and so rawr, 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 we're gonna throw them in the brig uh, did you notice that the brig just seems to be the storeroom yeah like, it's hilarious to me that despite the fact that Captain Shakespeare later on explains how important reputation is and that he's trying to keep up like this facade towards his crew, they don't even have a brig. It's not that big of a ship, to be fair. But apparently he has done this several times. That they yeah, capture but- someone and then he throws a mannequin or something. Stuff can be two things. But you would think, if he is the fearsome... Captain Shakespeare, who has a reputation of throwing people out the window of his ship, that maybe they would dedicate a space for that. (laughs) I don't know. I feel like it's way more efficient space-wise for them to not really have a specific area to only keep prisoners. Because how often do you actually have prisoners? That's the thing. It seems like this happens not that rarely because he has used this before. The main point is if they have prisoners, he gets rid of them very, very fast. So why waste space on a ship (sighs) on an actual brig, you know? To me, a jail that's not actually a jail is always a sign that the person who supposedly has the jail is not a bad it's not an evil person or a cruel person or anything because then they would have an actual jail. Nah, so. I respectfully disagree. I think it's smarter to have multifunctioning spaces. Mm-hmm. You would not be a very good evil person. <laughs> 
to conclude this scene, of course, they have this conversation and they're sitting there and Yvain once again comes across as surprisingly childlike when it comes to many things. She is very naive when it comes to being human and human interaction. Yes, because if you just watch things and don't live them, you don't actually get the experience. I don't judge her for that. It's just very interesting because Mm. I feel like this is the first time she's not actively angry at Tristan. (laughs) So it's the first time they actually have a conversation. So, so... We leave Yvain and Tristan up in the clouds with the pirates. Yes. And we go back down onto Earth, what I called once again, hunting the star. And obviously I instantly have to complain about a continuity error because Primus, the body, is in a bathtub. But the bathtub was part of the magically conjured in, so the bathtub shouldn't exist. Unless Lamia decided it's actually fucking hilarious to leave Primus, the son of the king, in a random bathtub in the middle of nowhere in she a blue no water. No, you'd say that. However, no. I feel like she has a sense of humor. That's why her and Septimus would get on so well. I think it's only there so that we can get the joke with the, well, go look for it then. Because Septimus with the henchman and everything. So good. I already complained <laughs> about the fact that he has again or still six henchmen when he literally stabbed the seer earlier and we did not see him recruit another person to right bind him. Now he gets Bernard and then now he has seven followers, which makes even less sense. I feel like the seer didn't actually ride with them. They brought him to him, Mm. to the beach. But then he still has seven followers now with Bernard joining them. It makes no sense because then it showed that it's only six. Yeah. So I complain about the numbers. I get that the numbers are important. So the storytelling somehow should have matched that. Honestly, I think it would have been hilarious if Septimus had been like, oh, if you're coming along, I need to stab one of my guys. (laughs) You're coming. Yeah, and oh, you're you're the one I like the least. Die, bitch, die. Like, okay. I mean, it would be in character. Maybe he left the guy that was looking for the jewel in the bathtub because he touched his brother's jewels. Ooh. Okay, yeah, had kind of accepted. I can more than live with that. My great note on this scene is da 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 da. That is the seven eighth music, right? Yes, that would be. But that's the that's the music that comes on any time one of the brothers think that they're about to become the king. <laughs> so even when true when Septimus yeah. pretends to die of the poison. We clo- do a close-up on Primus and we get the da-da-da-da-da. And he is really, really, you know, that's the, that's the, like, oh, this is epic and I am finally the king music. So, yeah, that's my only note on this scene. I grouped Lamia into this as well because she's also still hunting for the mm-hmm. star. And she is in the carriage mm-hmm. of Primus and she doesn't need to drive it because she drives it with magic. And she's inside of the carriage and she does all, like, the, the magic... Like the, she notices that her hair is falling off and everything. So because magicking up the inn didn't take a toll on her, but magicking up green fire to burn down everyone else apparently did take a huge toll on her. And so now her hair is coming off, very similar to what she looked like in the beginning of the movie. I feel like that's a combination of both. 
No, they forgot that the inn should have taken a toll on her. I'm pretty sure, and if we ever meet Mr. Gaiman, I will complain about But what I wanted to actually point out, so while Lamia is in the carriage and she has, like, all these effects happening, I remarked on how amazing all the practical effects on her are. Because, like, the hair, the makeup, the aging effect and everything, it's so amazing. It is beautiful, yeah. I'm just, like, blown away. The practical effects and the the makeup is so good because you can see that only like half of her face is aged and her other eyebrow is still intact kind of so one is kind of gone and gross and the other side is like pretty so it's just i love the attention to detail on this I do wonder if there is like a making of or audio commentary or anything for this. I'm sure there so is. I have to look at that. I'm sure there is. Because for some reason I do not own this movie on a disc. So <gasps> I actually might have to change that. Yes. Yes, I know. So after having completely not lost the plots at all while we're talking, we go up to the pirates in the sky. Or rather we go into the brig where Tristan and Yvain are still sitting. And Tristan, I think for the first time, is now realizing that maybe there isn't all that much to Victoria. Because Yvain here is asking, I feel, genuine questions. Like, tell me about her. I do not feel that she is, like, angling for an answer because she is still too naive for that, I I don't think that she is maliciously trying to call him out on not knowing anything about Victoria. So she's asking just the right questions. Yeah, she's actually genuinely interested in, well, you seem to be so in love with her. Tell me about her, I want to know, because I genuinely care about you and you just saved my life. Well, I wouldn't say she genuinely cares about him yet. I mean, okay, let's say you just saved my life and I care what you have to say. Because you just did a nice thing for me and we are stuck in this terrible situation. Explain to me why you would risk all of this and put us through all of this, basically. Tristan realizing this and I feel like this is the beginning of his actual character journey. Yes. Like the first thing was the saving Evain. But I feel like the saving Evain was more an automatism of him being a good person. And now he's actually starting to have to look inside and realize, oh, wait a moment, there's something. Yeah. Or rather there's nothing and that's why there needs to be something. I'm not 100% sure if we mentioned this in the previous scene but Yvain does this thing when they have this conversation where he refers to himself as a shop boy yes she essentially quotes him back to him we did not the thing that. that he says at the beginning to Victoria I am not a shop boy I'm just a boy who works in a shop essentially I am just someone who works in a shop and then he calls himself a shop boy because he's kind of given up on this whole idea of being something more and Mm. she goes no you're not you are not a shop boy you're just a boy there are people who just work in a shop and you are yeah this is basically the scene because there's not that much in the scene but this scene is so so important because it is literally the turning point and do you know what's hilarious it's exactly the halfway moment of the movie oh my god because I marked that down because I was like oh no we're only halfway for the movie and I'm on page eight of my notes Vero is going to hate me (laughs) so this really really character development relevant moment is the halfway mark we have now set everything up everything is in motion and everything is now starting to proper evolve and grow or 
break down if you look at Lamia in the previous scene because she is starting to actually break we down. We are basically... Oh my God, I want to say something. We are basically done with exposition now. Yes, everything is out there. We know everything and now it's time to have fun. And that just intersects so perfectly with the entire yeah. pirate story, in my opinion. Yeah. And speaking of fun, this is also the moment where we see that Yvaine actually has a sense of humor. Yes, she's so <laughs> funny. I love her. And speaking of another kind of fun, we go back to more epic shots of people traveling. The hunting the star continues with absolutely amazing shots. Yes. I wanted to point out, this is kind of connected to your, oh no, but Seven Riders and Septimus. No, no. In this traveling compilation, there is six riders plus Septimus. So there is seven of them. How it is meant to be. Yes, how it's meant to be. So he must have stabbed one of his because Bernard is with them. He needed a free horse anyway, so. What horse? So they do this aerial shot of the six, well, seven riders in uh, like a V-shape formation. And the first thing that popped to my brain was Lord of the Rings, the Nazgul's, when they are Ooh. riding through the through the countryside. And it looks so similar. The shot that I am, I actually did go and check the release dates on these movies. So I feel like it was, I mean, it is an obvious shot. Yes. But also, how is this not inspired? Because they're all like flaying but it came out very close to each other uh, well, right well 5 years i believe so uh, well then it is a clear inspiration if it's 5 years yes, apart yeah so yeah. I believe that uh, Fellowship came out in uh, 2001. 2001. We had a whole whole tangent on that. (laughs) We indeed had a whole tangent on that. (laughs) If you want to listen to us talking about movies in the 2000s, and like 2000 till 2010, you have to be a believer because there is a very long tangent there. Holy shit. Like 20 minutes of us Googling movies and going, oh my God, this came out in 2000s as well. And then just mentioning random movie titles. So let's stick on track for once in our life. (laughs) Part of this Hunting the Star scene compilation is more divination. And I really have to say I did not expect the whole divination and magic part to be so incredibly accurate. Because in most movies, magic is this random thing. Like sometimes it's reliable or magic does what it wants. Or it's only reliable for certain people. You have to be like especially gifted or something. And here the divination stuff just seems to be like, yeah, sure. Everyone with like even a modicum of talent can use it. Also, it doesn't necessarily mean that this is magic because it feels like a little like a parol trick that with the runes. So, but it works. It does work. Yeah, I don't know if there's any sorts of gods that are present in this. I think world. it's more metaphysics. Yeah, because in theory, it could also work like a magnet thing. You know. Yeah, but like, changes, more complex than yeah, well, magnets. Obviously. So metaphysics. Well, particles. Whatever. Shit. Particles. Metaphysics. Complex magnets. Yes. Whatever. You're right. <laughs> We go back to the pirates and I'm pretty sure I already said this at least once. The pirates are my absolute favorite thing about this movie. I love everything about the pirates. So good. Do you know what I love about this section? Tristan's hair. Everything. Well, yes. But also particularly Tristan's hair. Every single time we look at him, it gets worse and worse and worse. Just so they he kind has of... a fucking mullet at some point with everything short on top and long at the sides. Well, he has a mullet. That is great. But like even before Shakespeare takes a stab at him, they really make it so his hair 
cuts that he brought from Wall looks worse <sighs> and worse every time you look at him. So like it's weirdly yes. like shaped, like slept over, kind of like standing upright and lying down where it's not supposed to. Just so we have then the huge contrast when he finally gets a proper hair. Yeah, which is still gonna be a bit. Yes, but you know. So this is of course the scene. Do you remember when you watched this for the first time? No. Did you believe it that Captain Shakespeare throws Tristan out of the window? Did you buy it? I don't think I did because I was just like, they wouldn't kill him. No, no. So you didn't buy it because you were like, he's the main character. Yes. It can't be, but not Not because you were like, oh no, Shakespeare is a good guy. Exactly, yes. So I also went like the back then it was like they can't it's, like this is impossible there needs to be a trick exactly but I did not realize that Captain Shakespeare was going to be the way and the person that he is so that was a twist I completely didn't see coming the first time I watched Maybe it whoopsie. and now every time I see it it is so obvious from the very very first second that they interact yeah. that is like a level that I love when you watch a movie for the first time something not being completely in your face but then once you know you always know and it's so incredibly obvious and I love these little tidbits basically I also love Shakespeare performing basically for his crew like he knows exactly when to raise his voice and what to say and they're all outside and listening and they're all waiting for him to throw the person out of the window like they know it's coming which is why they're rushing up on deck to look let's over go, the side go, and be go. like, oh, oh God, it's coming, they're it's coming. so excited. It's so cute. I love that scene so much. Shakespeare is, well, he's an artist. You can tell. Yes. He's a performer. And Yvonne cries for Tristan because she is horrified about everything that's happening. It's very, very, very cute. And I know you still haven't watched it, but this is giving me such strong Our Reflect Means Death wipes because he must have secret passages on this ship to be able to smuggle Tristan from the break into his quarters. Mm-hmm. And obviously, Steed, in Our Flag Means Death, the ship that he had built, he built in secret passageways and like a hidden wardrobe and everything. And there are a surprising number of parallels between Captain Shakespeare and Steed Bonnet. And I actually do wonder if like, they knew starters the movie, if they... Like if Jenkins took inspiration from there, because there are quite a few parallels. So I wouldn't know for sure if there is a direct inspiration. But from what I heard from uh, not just yourself, but quite a lot of people who know both works, a lot of people do say that there seem to be a lot of similarities between the two. So... I absolutely love it. I love everything about the ship, the crew, the captain. And it's incredible because, you know, this came out so long ago. It's been so many years since this came out and it was a different time back then. 17 years, yeah. right? Wow. 17 years. It was a very different time back then. We, like, having a cross-dressing character in any capacity yeah. was, you know, such a visionary thing. Like, having it in such a beautiful, playful way and not it being a bad thing, even though he is it is still played it. for laughs. It is still played for laughs. But at the end of the movie, we also do get acceptance. Yeah. We still get the slur. He literally gets shoved outside the group when he says that. Ultimately, and then everyone is out. he is accepted for whom he is. They do yeah. not care, which is the point. We still have a ways to go, but some people were further along earlier. And that is always nice to see. And I'm like, oh, so emotional about this. We are now in Captain Shakespeare's quarters. (gasps) And he says something 
that just howlingly parochial. And I had to look up what howlingly parochial means. Like basically, it, it's so basic. It's so stupid. It's like, it's like, uh, pass it like that. Like, no, but it sounds so great. Like howlingly parochial. It's like, oh, it's so British. He wants to be British so bad. <laughs> He is using the biggest words. And even you notice how soft-spoken and soft personality suddenly comes out compared to... He's such a sweetheart. Such a sweetheart. I love him so much. And then he starts to get interested in the haircut. And he starts talking about, oh, you know, and my father, his name, he was called Ghostmaker. And so I had to choose this really, really, you know, hardcore name. And I didn't really know how to go about it. And then it finally, you know, came to me. Shakespeare, you know, they, of course, think Shakespeare. But it's a wordsmith and everything. And he truly is modeling himself as a wordsmith artist and everything. And I love that so much. It's just such beautifully performed character by Robert De Niro. It's just mwah, so good. He says one thing that is kind of hilarious given the situation because he says your own mother won't recognize you. <laughs> His yeah. mother literally has never seen him. Yeah. So yeah, she definitely won't recognize him on sight. She recognizes him because of the flower. Yes. So I feel like that I is just... very much deliberately put in there. Yes, <laughs> but it was very funny. Also, Tristan's face when he realizes his hair is getting longer. <laughs> leads me to believe that this cutting hair longer is a skill that does not exist outside of Stormont. Yeah, I would assume so. I mean, you don't really do that in the 16th century England, I wouldn't think. I don't know. You can do it in The Witcher, so... (laughs) Yeah. Yvain chooses... There's this brilliant moment at the beginning of this scene, though, we haven't mentioned, where they walk into the closet and Shakespeare is like, (laughs) Yvain, find yourself some nice dress. And she's like, oh no, I'm fine. And he looks at her and just goes, you're wearing a bathrobe, honey. I did not write this down, but you're absolutely right. This is in the same moment. And it is so funny, but she picks an amazing dress. Like seriously, I love the dress she initially wore. Mm -hmm. I didn't like the bathrobe because it's a boring bathrobe. (laughs) I mean, there's great bathrobes and then there's this and this is not a great bathrobe. I mean, there was a for comfort bathrobe. It was a magic bathrobe that Lamia actually conjured up. So <laughs> by all means, it actually should have vanished. This is... Oh, this is... no, now I know why the bathtub didn't vanish <gasps> and why the bathrobe didn't... Because it has contact with a human person or with, oh! with an actual living being. Oh, well, not living anymore. Yeah, no, but, but you know what yeah, I mean? Like, yeah, with a real... With real a real life creature. Person. Yeah, and this is why it's still there. Because the bathrobe is still there and the bathtub is still there oh, and I God. would like basically if you take I would not be surprised if the bathrobe disintegrates the second she takes it yeah. off and if you lift Primus out of the bathtub the bathtub probably also disappears yes because the ah, water also was, accepted. The, the, the water was also conjured. touching him yes ha head cannon it works I love it there is no continuity error it all makes sense <laughs> love that for you now makes me very happy I'm the sorry. crew goes into the uh, shop yes we need to peddle the goods I call this and we go to see young Ferdinand, as he calls him, which is hilarious. Oh, God. Young Ferdinand. <sighs> I mean, Ferdinand, the name itself already is hilarious to me for some reason. Aw, I have a friend whose name is Ferdinand. And here we see the captain bartering. My heart, he's perfect. Because despite the fact that this is not really how and who he truly is. He is an amazing actor and he really plays his role. So obviously 
he is not going to sell for less than he has to. And he has his reputation. So the combination with his reputation and his bartering skills and his acting skills in the end means he gets exactly what he's asking for, which is 200, including sales tax. Mm-hmm. God, I love that bit. It just shows the captain in the wild, which is the one time that we get to see that not just in front of his crew, but like out in the wild in front of other people. And I feel like he truly enjoys the part that he's playing. He is not the part but he enjoys playing it which is really good and I love that for him at least partially I feel like the the salesman part is something that really brings him joy I feel yeah sparks joy so not as much the pretending to kill people part I mean I feel like that's also fun for him because it's a game (laughs) yes it's all a theater darling yes Shakespeare has a nephew did you see that coming because I for sure didn't I am shookish and his nephew has really good hair and really nice clothing. Look at that. He's a very bad actor because as amazing an actor Shakespeare is, Tristan is not. <laughs> when he when Shakespeare presents him Yvaine <sighs> and he's like, oh, this is fine. And then everybody's just staring at him and he just grabs her and goes, Did you catch the face of the first mate? The first mate knows. He knows everything. He knew all along. I yes. love him. The he... first mate is so supportive because he plays along when he has to play along and he doesn't play along when he doesn't have to. It's so... Oh, everybody needs a best friend like that. Seriously. Every single idol of the first mate has made <laughs> me so happy. It was yes. so funny. Just like, come on, dude. You've like, been coached. Come on. Yeah, do better. Really, do fucking better. The rest of this scene with like the montage and the dancing and everything. This is my happy moment. This is my happy, happy moment in the movie because everybody is happy. Uh And I kind of feel Shakespeare really would be an amazing dad. He would and he kind of is their dad. He's their, you know, how today in this day and age... It is a little bit more a common, a common knowledge that, for example, in drag or in the queer community, often you have a mother that doesn't necessarily need to be gender specific. Yes. Or so basically an he is mother. their mother because she already mother. has a dad, yeah. but up to this point, she still doesn't have a mother. So Shakespeare is stepping in and yeah. now he is a mother. Yes. Yeah. Yes, that is, is Mother Shakespeare. Yes. So it's the house Tristan, of Shakespeare. The house of Shakespeare. It is real. Yes, love that. I love it. Okay, this is making me even happier. (laughs) And he is actually the mother, you know, that he brings them together and he he is the emotional support when they need it. And he is the one that actually helps them develop the feelings. He gently guides. He patiently teaches. He has amazing style and taste. Yes. I'm pretty sure he's also a great cook. Obviously. So everything about him, like he has all these soft qualities that are very stereotypically female. Mm -hmm. So yeah, yeah, yeah. But obviously we have to point out everyone in the crew probably knows what Yvaine is because she is glowing much too brightly. Like it's incredible. Yes, yes. She is definitely fairly obvious, but I love that Shakespeare actually approaches that and he tells her, I I know know what you are, but you don't have to worry. And did you notice how her light dims for a moment and then she relaxes and then of course Tristan steps in and then it goes, (laughs) but if you look at this. This montage cannot be longer than, say, four days. No, no, because we only have the week until the birthday or something. Yeah. Yeah. So when this story started, we had seven days. 
We blew the first day by walking Yvane on... Okay, so it's five days because we blew the first day on uh, Yvane walking on her broken foot and getting rescued by the unicorn. And then the, during the night, we were at the inn. The first night is at the inn with rah, 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 rah. Yeah, and there's the first night. And then they get to the ship and we are on day two. Yes. When, uh, so that means we when Tristan five gets days killed. Left. Yes. And then they go shopping because mm -hmm. it's probably still the same day. Probably. And then they come back. And, and then everything starts, right? And so then when they get off the ship, they, we they have, have two days left. So, so we it's have seven four. days in total. It's the first. Dear listeners, we are doing maths with our fingers. With our fingers, yes. Four days. Four days. Yeah, yep. it has to be four days. So basically three and a half because like the beginning of the second day is busy with supposedly killing Tristan and cutting his hair and everything. Yes. So three and a half days. Wow. Okay. Impressive. He learns to fence. They both learn to dance. She learns how to play the piano. They are very productive and very talented babies. I'm not gonna lie. The thing is, Tristan used to suck at fencing. And now it only takes three days for him to learn it. Which, to me, simply shows if you teach someone proper or properly to their needs, then they can learn. But if you expect... Unlocked. Level but if you, up. But if you treat everyone the same, not everyone will learn and grow the same. Mm -hmm. And so... I feel like this is like very subtly put in there and I love it because Tristan responds very well to patience and yeah. gentleness. And of course the music during the montage is absolutely incredible. Like come yes. on. The score of this movie is so good. So we keep saying and I still didn't look up who fucking made the music for this movie. So maybe I should remember that. And this is where we cut because guess what? This episode took forever or rather is taking forever enjoy the outro see you in two weeks